Daniel 10 is, a, is almost a process chapter. Daniel, how he responds, how he receives the revelation, how he responds to it, and some of what he saw, but not the content of that revelation. That comes in chapter 11 and 12. Uh, but I looked at ta- chapter 10, and I, I uh, re- there's a lot here. Last week we looked at several parts of it, but I, we need to look a little bit more at it today. And let me, I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter, and then uh, we'll open in prayer. This is Daniel chapter 10. I'll make a couple of comments uh, just to keep us uh, on track a little bit. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now last week I read um, from Revelation chapter 1, which has a lot of similarities to this, and it would lead us to the conclusion that what he sees here is an, an image of, of Jesus Christ, because it's, that's what you see in Revelation chapter 1. It's a, he sees this vision, this man of um, remarkable description, of uh, strange proportions, uh, of maximum capacities, you know, his face looks like lightning, his eyes are like torches, and his voice is so loud. I love that song, Crown Him With Many Crowns, that it said um, the, that the, the, the anthem of heaven drowns all music but its own. Uh, when God wants to turn the volume up, he will. And he, when he wants to be heard, he will. Uh, he, this is a part of the nature of God. Uh, he, has, he has more capacity to communicate than you and I can ever imagine. And uh, so Daniel sees this vision of Jesus Christ standing on the banks of the Tigris River. And the nagging reminder in verse 1 is Daniel's called Belteshazzar. Only two times in the Bible, once in Daniel 1, once in Daniel 10. It's a nagging reminder that for 70, now 72 years, he's had to put up with this real 
I want to say crisis, but how can you have a crisis for 72 years? It's a chronic, horrible, unbearable situation. But he's bearing it. Uh, and he's going through, the, he's, he's long ways from home. He, he wants to be home. He probably never gets to go home. Uh, and he's been working there. He's been in, in exile. He's been putting up with something that normally we wouldn't, wouldn't put up with uh, for all of these years. And he sees Jesus on the banks of the river, who's not cowering in uh, pain or, or, or weakness. Uh, or he's not on his knees. He's powerful, and he's able to speak with great strength. And it slays him, basically. He's boom, down on his face. See, let me read a little bit more here. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. That recalls uh, in the Gospels. Uh, it's when they, the Roman soldiers <laughs> came out with their swords and their torches. We're going to arrest this man. Where is he? Where, where is this guy we're going to arrest? And he says, I am he. And boom, they're all flat on their faces. <laughs> he had to raise them up. Come on, guys. I'll raise you up so you can arrest me. So you can take and crucify me. Uh, it's all the power of God, and that's exactly what happened here to Daniel. He's on his face on the ground yeah, in the presence of, of this strength and the reality of who Jesus Christ is. None of us individually, but for the grace of God, none of us have any ability to even stand. And behold, a hand touched me. Now this, this is an unknown hand. But in the context, I really believe it's probably an angel. Let me read through this here. And behold, an, an, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, I made the point here that I think is, uh, is interesting because here's, of all the guys, of all the human beings in the Bible, Daniel's one of the most honorable he deserves honor. He deserves to be put up on a pedestal. But in, in the presence of, of the perfection of Jesus Christ, and none of us are anything. Uh, Paul said, what are the apostles? We're, we're nothing. We're just messengers of Jesus. We're all the same in the presence of perfection, in the perfection, in the presence of the perfection of Jesus, of the perfect holiness of God. We are, we are unclean, as Isaiah said. And we're of a people of unclean lips, Isaiah said. So we're dependent. We need grace. We need the touch of God. And there's this weird process that goes on here that 
I tried to preach on last week a little bit. It, you know, he's first brought up to his hands and knees. He's on his hands and knees, trembling, shaking. There's no honor for this elderly. He's, he's like 87 years old because he was brought into Babylon when he was maybe 14. And this is 72 years later. That we all know that. That's chrono chronology, right? So he's 87. Is that right? Something like that. He's an old guy, okay? Octogenarian. And in the presence of God, God sees fit to humble him and show him how derived and dependent he is. And you know what? That's where we all are. And the sooner and the better we realize that, the better off we'll be, spiritually speaking. Uh, what does it mean when Jesus says, without me you can do nothing? What does that mean? It means we're completely dependent on the power of God to accomplish anything. Psalm 172, those that build a house labor in vain unless the Lord builds a house. And so Daniel's learning this, and he's demonstrating, and he's showing us this uh, spiritual reality. He's trembling on his hands and knees. It's good to tremble on your hands and knees. You know, that's a good thing when it's that, when it's that heavy, when all you have is to be on your hands and knees and say, God, help me, help me. And he said, oh, Daniel, Man greatly loved. And we are loved with an everlasting love. The everlasting God has chosen to love us. We are loved in the beloved one, in Jesus Christ. We are made righteous, made perfect. We're loved in him. O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Yes, have an encounter with God, but it's an encounter of, with content. It's an encounter with understanding. It's an encounter with word. It's, a, it's an encounter that's directed and guided by the word of truth. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me, the word makes him stand up. When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. He's still trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Now, there's a lot of uh, people in this passage, and, and we can't necessarily nail them all down, but I think you'd have to say that this is Jesus speaking to Daniel. He came to encourage him directly and personally. Um, I think that's what that means there. Uh, and, and it's a wonderful thing because the, he's been praying desperately for intervention. And really, he's been praying for the freedom of God's people. 
that they could go back to Jerusalem, uh, as we learned in the previous chapters. Uh, and the answer's been delayed, but the word is, I heard your prayer. You know, there's that, that old song. Remember that old song? Some of us remember that old song. I believe the Lord has heard me pray. I believe the answer's on the way. Ever heard that one? That's an old one, Betsy. <laughs> I believe the Lord has heard me pray. I believe the answer's on the way. I kind of wonder if it came from uh, these couple of passages right here at Mayhav. I have come because of your words. Like I said, there's different people in here. There's, there's angels and there's Jesus, and I'm, I can't, we, it's kind of uh, confusing exactly who is whom. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work on this together. Uh, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And now it sounds like this is an angel speaking to me. Um, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So let me explain that, and it'll come out a little bit later. This is, this is weird, okay? And I'll be honest with you. This is strange, and my temptation was to let's just pass over it. And one, one of the temptations to do that is... I don't want people to think I'm weird, so let's avoid the weird stuff, okay? <laughs> but, I, but really, I grapple with that and say, okay, that's just the fear of man. If I'm not going to preach the word because of the fear of man, then I should just, you know, quit. I could go do something else. Uh, I, I'm here to preach the word because it's the word of God, okay? So it is a little strange, but let me tell you what this seems to mean. The prince of the kingdom of Persia seems like a, a demonic figure over the kingdom of Persia who is opposing this angel. And then Michael, for it says for 21 days, and then Michael, who is, uh, he's the archangel. He's named as the archangel in the Bible, the only one named that way. He comes, he's one of the chief princes. He came to help this angel, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So he's fighting with, it seems like, on a spiritual level, uh, these princes, these demons over the geopolitical force called Persia. Um, it says, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men, of man, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. 
again, one having the appearance of a man, touched me and strengthened me. And he said, Oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except the, against these except Michael, your prince. Okay, I confess, this is strange, okay, I, I, this is weird. And there's not a lot in the Bible about this, but we're going to look at some of it uh, today. We're going to look at quite a bit of it uh, today. Because as I said, this seems to be saying pretty clearly that beyond and above the geopolitical situation where the, the Medes and the Persians are currently the world power and the Greeks are going to take over. This is roughly written in 500 or so BC. The Greeks would not take over until who? Alexander the Great. Again, round numbers, roughly 300 BC. So it's 200 years later. This is a stunning, predictive prophecy and is laid out in chapter 11. Chapter 11 uh, is interesting all about the Greeks and the, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies arguing over the Holy Land and marching back and forth. That's basically the summation of chapter 11. Uh, but so above and beyond what we can see, the natural causes of political intrigue and the lust for power and great men like Alexander, let's just call him the Great, you know? political amazement above and beyond that is a spiritual realm and there's these demons who are literally fighting against each other that's interesting okay so let's spend a few minutes on this first of all oh great this is not going to work sorry you, you just click click please okay uh, active in the political area, uh, active in the political arena. These are uh, the angels and the demons are active in the geopolitical struggle that's going on. First I ask, why go ahead and click once here, what's, what's next? There are angels and demons assigned to different nations. Why did God tell us about this? I, I think he wants us to know that there is more than meets the eye. You know, in the 20th century, we looked at people like Adolf Hitler, and we looked at Joseph Stalin, and we looked at other leaders and said, how could any human being be so horrendous? How could any single human being be so evil? The whole world said this. It was the definition of evil. And, and God says, well, you don't even see what's going on in the spiritual realm above and beyond them. 
click for me. Yeah, more than meets the eye. And, and I like this one. It is not all about us. All of creation and all that God is doing is not about you and I. God's doing something bigger and better that, than we will ever understand. He's, he's active and doing things that aren't even for us. Now, the Bible does tell us, commands us to pray for our leaders. You know, we kind of think, well, that's a good idea. Kind of nonchalantly, let's pray for them. Well, this may be why we should, should pray for them. There's this whole demonic realm fighting over the control of nations in order to do good or to do evil. We should pray for them, pray for their protection. But also notice, the Bible doesn't develop this very much at all. There's a few, few words about it, and we're going to look at those in the next few minutes uh, to get a little bit more information about it. But it doesn't develop it very much. Um, it, it never tells us to take any specific action about this, uh, except for prayer. We should definitely pray. That's a specific action. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Lord willing. <laughs> if I don't get there, you finish. <laughs> um, oh, the reason I say that it is uh, I knew a, a pastor in San Jose. He was a pastor of a really big church up there. And therefore, I hate him. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Just a little joke there. A little small church joke. Um, <laughs> see, that's satanic. <laughs> um, it was a big, big church. Big, big Pentecostal type church, you know. And so he decided that he was going to go out and challenge the demon uh, over San Francisco and then the demon over Silicon Valley and he challenged the demon, and he got the demon to tell it, tell him its name. And so then he made this big campaign against this named demon over, over San Jose. And he would he'd do things like fly an airplane over San Jose denouncing this demon. And, um, you know, I, I just think that's just inappropriate. I, I think it's, it's not scriptural. God never told us to do that. Uh, God never, Jesus, yes, he challenged demons, but on a personal level. He, even Jesus doesn't go out and say to Rome or to uh, Jerusalem or to wherever, you know, what is the name of this demon? He doesn't engage them, okay? So this doesn't give us license for sort of zany activity. Uh, we should limit our action to what God has given us. Demons and God's secret agents are involved in geopolitical struggle, but they're also, in the Scripture, much more involved in our personal arena. If we could have the next slide. Active in the personal arena. Let me see if this is going to work yet. Did I do that? I did that. Ha, ha, ha. God, God is using you and I to prove a point. Uh, let's look at a whole bunch of passages of Scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians. Interestingly enough, Paul quite interested in, the, in angels in the book of Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Ephesians 3, uh, 10. Um, 
Let's read verse 7. I, I, context is always so important. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, he has a proper self-esteem. I'm nothing. I'm the least of all the saints. He's flat, prostrate, unable to speak before Jesus who knocked him off his high horse. Um, let's see, here we are in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You know, God is actually using, he's saving the church, lifting us up to prove a point. He's proving a point to these rulers and authorities. He's showing his manifold wisdom. How amazing is his wisdom. How wonderful is his grace as he saves the church. So you and I are being used by God to prove a point in our personal salvation. Secondly, we struggle with forces beyond what we see. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 in that area. Turn a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 6, particularly verse 12. Uh, it says, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. It kind of reminds you of Daniel 10. Our natural position is prostrate on the ground. We can only stand by the grace of God. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, it's crystal clear. Paul is talking about a, a, a realm of spiritual conflict that's hovering over us all the time. It's, this is not a fairy tale. Now, I happen to love Tolkien. I, I love the Lord of the Rings. I love the Hobbit. I just, uh, we wait till they come out on, uh, on DVD, of course. So, so I only saw Hobbit number one. But I love that movie. And we, ha we have all the Lord of the Rings. We've watched them a whole bunch of times, right? I, I really love it. But that's fantasy, right? You know what's really freaky? This isn't fantasy. This is not fantasy. We're in a fight with forces we can't see. Where do temptations come from? You know, who knows our weaknesses? Who whispers in your ear, give up? One of my favorite preachers of all time is a guy named Chuck Swindoll. And if I, you know, let me just pull his authority by saying he thinks that every suicide 
is, is demonic in origin. And I think he might be right. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but all kinds of crazy thoughts pop into your head. All kinds of evil. All kinds of perverseness. And we're capable of it. <laughs> we, have the, we have the flesh and the world and the devil as our enemies. You know, what are you going to do about this? You're going to deny it? You're going to say, well, that's embarrassing. I don't believe that. You know, come on. I had a good conversation with some of our great men who came back from uh, Afghanistan, came back from, from real horrendous battles there. And believe me, the enemy is real. And you know, you don't know where that enemy's coming from. You don't know what it's like. Um, but they're there, and what? They're aggressive. They're not passive. And that's what Paul is saying here. Goodness sakes, on a personal level, we struggle with forces beyond what we see. Satan and the non-elect angels work in unbelievers. Look at this, Ephesians 2, uh, 2 and following. Interesting how, like I said, the book of Ephesians turns out have a lot of information about angels and demons. Ephesians 2 is one of, the, one of the best passages of all time. It says, uh, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Everybody's walking that way. It's the course of this world. It's the default mode. It's when you're lazy, that's where you go. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, etc. But the point I'm making here is Satan and his non-elect angels, by the word fallen angels, never in the Bible. There's one to elect angels, so I decided well, these are the, must be the non-elect angels. <laughs> um, Satan and his demons, they are actively at work in unbelievers. They're actively at work. In, he works on a personal level. We should be ready for battle. And that goes back to chapter 6, what I already read. This is the biggest response we can have in this. We have to be ready for battle. How do you do that? You put on the full armor of God. The, whole, the passage I already read, um, I read up through verse 12, the spiritual forces of evil. This is Ephesians 6, uh, 12, now into 13. Okay, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against this hierarchy of evil, the rulers. So, you know, as you get older in the Lord, it's getting tougher because you're facing bigger and badder demons. That's a little speculation, but I think it's fair. Rulers against authorities, cosmic powers, this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Stand, therefore. It's a lot about standing firm. Don't give up. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. A lot there, and I'm just kind of doing a survey here today of angels, God's secret agents. But that's our solution. We need to be ready for battle. There's more information about the angels. God's secret agents help us. We're, we're surrounded, the Bible says. We're surrounded. Remember, in Gen turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 28. This is a good old, what's his name, <laughs> with the ladder. <laughs> Jacob and his ladder. Jacob, uh, in Genesis 28, verse 12. Let me read this little bit here. This is Jacob's dream. Remember, he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's out in the desert. He's traveling. He ran out of gas. He's beside the road in Arizona. Something along those lines. He took Highway 50 <laughs> through Nevada. Ever been to, to Ely, Nevada? On Highway, I think it's Highway 50. It's called the loneliest highway in the world. Highly recommended but don't run out of gas. He's out in the middle of nowhere. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. <laughs> I just love that response. I just had no idea. The Lord was right here. Did you know that? I did not know that. The Lord was here. Well, where isn't the Lord? He's everywhere. Surely Yahweh, and that when you see it, this all caps, that's the Hebrew name for God. Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. Verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of 
God, Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. What is the point? No matter where we are, God has resources available. He has angels all around us. He is always there. Angels are here to actually serve. They're here to help. In Hebrews 1.14, it says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? This is Hebrews 1.14. Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. We have this troop of angels. Uh, Genesis 19. Uh, this, is, this is a cool story. We don't have time for all the stories, but this, was, this is Lot in, in Sodom. And uh, it's time to go. Time to leave. Uh, God is threatening to destroy Sodom. It's going to happen momentarily. And this is Genesis 19, 16, and he's, there's these, these angels, these strong angels there. It says, but he lingered. So the men, that's the angels, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. How did Lot get saved from Sodom? The angels literally dragged him out. You know, angels could do that for us. Yeah, they can drag us out by the mercy of God, even when we're choosing to do something else. And of course, in Daniel, we have several instances of this. Daniel 3, 28, remember, it's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And then Daniel says this in Daniel 6.22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. You know, even in completely impossible situations. You know, when, when a lion is there to eat your leg, you know, an angel can come and shut that lion's mouth. That's why they're there. They're sent out to be, as the word of Hebrews, sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Here's Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, encamps, we're surrounded around those who fear him and delivers them. Here's Psalm 91, 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They're here to help. Um, I want to pause here for a second because uh, it, it, recently I was exposed to it. There's this book on Psalm 91, uh, which is, it can be a good devotional book. But some people have kind of taken it uh, in, in a dangerous direction and they, they actually have a thing called the Psalm 91 Covenant. And they, they read this thing saying, you know, essentially this is a covenant between me and God and nothing bad can happen to me if I recite this covenant at some certain point in time. In other words, here's the word uh, of Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, is that a carte blanche promise to every Christian 
in every circumstance that nothing bad will ever happen to you. Your, your children will never get sick. You know, they'll never have a trauma. Uh, no, I, it's, no, it's really not, okay? Uh, these are what we'd call kind of proverbial statements. They're promises, that they're true promises, but God in His grace may decide to do something else in our situation. And, and we can't hold God accountable saying, but in Psalm 91 you said this would never happen to me. And no, no, that's not the promise of always delivering us from the trauma in our lives, no. But he's there to help us through them, and he, and he has a purpose in the trauma always, so we can trust him through all of that. Uh, okay, the, the angels join us in worship. You know, the great uh, song we sing called the, the doxology. We, we say, praise him above ye heavenly hosts. We're actually addressing the angels, saying, could you join us? You know, we need some holy, holy, holy here. We need a lot of help to worship God, because he's worthy of all worship. And uh, here's an example of that from the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So they join us in worship. They obey God. The elect angels are perfectly obedient to their God and they worship him. They help with revelation. The Bible has a lot on this. Uh, I, I think I'm going to pass over that, but they help bring the word. They brought the word to Zechariah about John the Baptist. They brought the word to Mary about Jesus. Actually, Gabriel is the one who brought that word. They were helpful in bringing the law according to the Bible, and they are always helpful. That's what they're doing with Daniel here, bringing revelation to him. They may we may see them without knowing it. Uh, this is a kind of strange reference, but uh, this is Hebrews 13.2. You perhaps have heard of this, Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's kind of cool. <laughs> We should, you know, we, we need to do a much better job of this as a church, you know, looking around to see our visitors and our new people who come into our doors. And here's another motivation to do that. You know, they might be an angel. You don't know. Take them to lunch. What's it like to spend lunch with an angel? Must be pretty amazing. Um, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. God's secret agents help us. Be careful, oh, that's the word not. Forgive me. Be careful not to offend them. <laughs> my, my typo. Um, this is interesting too. I, what I did is I did a whole survey of all, what the Bible teaches about angels. And um, it, they're surrounding us uh, always. They're around us. They encamp around us. They they know what we're doing. They're aware of what we do. And so therefore, we can actually hurt them. It's, it's like we 
didn't know we were hurting you because we didn't know you were there. But they can get offended at what we do. You know, we, there's a lot of talk about privacy and the NSA and Google invading our privacy. You know, we, we have a, a right to privacy. It's uh, constitutional. Right to privacy. Well, from a biblical point of view, you actually have zero privacy. <laughs> you know, zero, none. God sees everything you do. God thinks, he knows every thought you're thinking right now. And the angels too, they're like everywhere. You can't get away with stuff because they're there. <laughs> it's a huge invasion of privacy. Oh, see, privacy is just a presumption. You have no privacy. Uh, and, and the angels are an example of that. Don't offend them. Uh, here's some verses on that. 1 Corinthians 4, 9. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. See, Paul, we might list, you know, the society sees me, and other human beings see me, and they care how I do. No one wants to see an apostle or a missionary or a pastor fail and become uh, an idiot, an immoral uh, jerk. Nobody wants to see that. Well, he includes the angels in that list, too. We're a spectacle. They see us. Be careful not to offend them. Here's 1 Timothy 5.21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. That's the only biblical designation of different kinds of angels. Elect or non-elect. And of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. See, so if we're in a situation where we are called to rule specifically here, rule and be a leader in God's church. He's saying, I'm going to bring in uh, uh, Tereka. Three. God, Christ Jesus, and the angels. They are watching what you're doing. You have no privacy. Watch out what you're doing. Uh, and here, here's another one. This one's super haunting. It's Jesus in 18, Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Again, this is not a fairy tale. This is actually real information from God. He has uh, apparently billions of angels. Um, and they are assigned, we call them guardian angels sometimes. They seem to be assigned to children. And they, they go to heaven and they're there with the heavenly father. And he says one huge motivation not to mistreat children is that they have somebody who goes to heaven and talks to the father about them. You think you have that child all to yourself. You think no one can see you? Well, your presumption of privacy is all wrong. God sees exactly what's going on in that room. Now, uh, we have...
plenty of time. I have another hour and a half, so, <laughs> so I shouldn't joke about time so much, but it, it's one of my favorite jokes. So, um, Literally, the feedback I keep getting from all my folks is, please preach longer. Okay. <laughs> you know? I, I don't want to get into something hugely controversial here, and this is like really kicking a can of uh, things that you wouldn't want to kick. What do you kick? You kick a can of worms or ants or... Yeah, the can of worms. You don't open the can of worms. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But this is a can of worms that I'm going to go ahead and open. <coughs> um, and without shutting it. But it has to do with women in the church. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, some, it's very difficult information, and sometime, Lord willing, maybe we'll, we'll teach it very well. Um, haven't, haven't taught anything well yet, but, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know. But anyway, seriously, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, uh, For a man ought not to cover his head. He's talking about when, when you're praying or prophesying. And, and in the context, I, I firmly believe, this is talking about official public prayers when God's people are meeting together as a church. Or prophesying, it's, it's rather like preaching. Prophesying is speaking out of the fullness of your heart, uh, speaking freely. You're not singing a song. You're not reading a script. You're not reading from the Bible. You're loose, and you're interpreting the Word and applying it. So that's, it, the, the context is all about praying and prophesying. And he says a man ought not to cover his head. He shouldn't have a hat on. And in the context, it's very clearly a hat of some sort, or covering. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And here's the verse, verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What? <laughs> huh? That's weird. Okay, and, it, and it, in the whole context, he's saying when a, when a woman would pray or prophesy, and they had charismatic gifts going on in the church, so women occasionally would have the gift of tongues or prophecy. He said when they do that, they must have a covering, and the covering is not her hair, very clearly in the context, it can't be. Uh, she should have a covering. And, and in the Middle East, in India, all the women, when they go up to pray, they bring up the shawl over their head and they pray in that way. And here he says it's because it's a symbol of authority. She's submitting to her husband and demonstrating that in a physical way because of the angels. See, the angels, they appear before God and they have six wings. They cover their feet, they cover their face, they fly, they are very cognizant of submission to authority. And according to A.T. Robertson, the great uh, Bible interpreter, he says, that's why Paul says women, if they are praying officially at, or prophesying in the church, they ought to have a symbol of authority covering their head. Because of the angels. That's one of his arguments here. So the angels are aware of how we worship. Be careful not to offend them. Our response, this is what I think practically amongst 
many things that the Holy Spirit may have been teaching you, but here's some other possibilities. Two, understand that spiritual issues are always in play. We have, we have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. We don't understand those spiritual issues, but there's always that dimension, always a big, bigger struggle than we even appreciate. Trust in God's special help. You know, when all else fails, pray and trust God. He can literally send an angel, like he did to the apostles in the prison, and free you, get you out of there. He has total capability. He has a host at his command, and in his will he can do that. And finally, live respectfully of your environment. Let's be environmentalists. You know what's in our environment? Angels. Spiritual realities. Let's not pollute the environment. We, we should be those who are aware of the whole environment, even the spiritual realm. And this is guided by the Word of God. Live respectful of your environment. The saying goes, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess we don't fully understand this, and that's because you have not given us all information that we might be curious about, but you've given us enough in information to know that this is not a fairy tale, it's real. And at some level, beyond our capacity to understand, there are demonic forces and angelic forces who are struggling, who are fighting, and even above our own personal lives and above the lives of our family, our children, uh, there are spiritual forces at work. We pray, Lord, that we would put on the armor of God, that we'd always stand firm in your truth, knowing uh, your wonderful truth that you've given us to be prepared. And we'd have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to be able to fight these spiritual battles. Dear Father, we pray that for, we'd have victory over uh, the devil through your work, Lord. Uh, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please stand with us.